Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dean and Sarah to the podcast. Dean serves as the founding and lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Recently, Dean published his newest work, Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. Dean, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It's great to be with you and Midwestern Seminary, my alma mater. Yeah, look, I, you know, you're a friend, of course. You're a graduate, which we're thankful for. And uh, you're always a fun conversationalist. And I'm delighted to have your new book uh, in hand and have been able to read over it. And looking forward to the conversation today. And um, anyway, just thankful to have you on Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, listen, before we get into the meat of the conversation today, and we're talking about the pastor and the new prosperity gospel and really thematically picking up on your book, uh, give us a word of update on your, your family, your ministry, and what's new in Tallahassee. Yeah, well, church is going well. We feel like we're kind of back from COVID. We're not at 100% what we were attendance-wise yet, uh, but we're starting to see our next generation ministries back full speed. Like, we're, we're close. We're getting there, so we're very happy about that. Uh, family's doing well. As long as everybody's in school and has their routines, we're okay. Both my boys are playing spring football right now. Uh, so we're you know, full speed ahead, but all is well. Well, good for you. And speaking of spring football, uh, we should, uh, you are, you're stepping out of practice to have this conversation and uh, from coaching yes, your, your son. And, uh, yes, <laughs> I'm the head coach of his middle school football team. Hey, man, you got to do a little, little book promo in the middle of all that. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep, it, keep the conversation pretty tight today. Well, listen, let's get into it. What's the inspiration for your new book? What I'm seeing happen all across what I just call pop Christianity, and us that are more familiar with uh, you know just gospel-centered resources and a seminary culture and all that exists online that's just rich, the rich theologically. I don't think a lot of us are aware of what so many people are drawn to, especially a younger generation, and what's what I call the new prosperity gospel. It's not the old health and wealth, you know, God's going to drop a new Bentley in your car and heal you if you're disease if you call this 1-900 number at the bottom of the screen. You know, it's not that. Instead, it's more of a, uh, a cooler version and a hipper version of Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now. So it's not cheesy like that. Is It looks good. It's branded. I mean, it is communication guru 101. It's trendy. And it kind of communicates that God's purpose in life is your fulfillment in terms of the things of this world uh, to help you advance and achieve your dreams and reach your ultimate potential. That's basically the messaging of it. And people are flocking to it. All you got to do is go to Instagram. People are flocking to this kind of message. I call it the Instagramification of Christianity. And we have to realize there's a discipleship crisis happening right in front of us with this me-focused understanding of Christianity. Yeah, so look, you're a man who pastors in a, in a college town, a university town there in Tallahassee. You have a big growing church. Uh, I would love just to hear a touch more what you're, you know, experientially, uh, how you're experientially encountering this mindset, how you're seeing this mindset. Well, what, what's, you know, what are your kind of artifacts that are drawing to this conclusion? Well, we see college students who already profess faith walk in our doors and they first get to uh, Florida State or Tallahassee. And the people they're already drawn to, kind of the pastors they listen to, the books they read, are all people that are promoting these messages. Uh, they're those that make almost like a modern-day Christian curse word in their eyes are words like settling, you know, or, or not maximizing, you know, your gifts to the highest level. And so faith to them really, and the Christianity to them, 
really is about kind of the old fashioned bumper sticker. God is my co-pilot. It's kind of God is my co-pilot for me to go pursue all the things that I want. And another place we're seeing it outside of students is we're seeing a lot of the language happen in the early forms of their faith where people like to talk about things like just follow your heart. You know, God just wants you to be happy as long as you're sincere and they're justifying major life decisions and even sinful decisions based on the fact that they believe that God simply just wants them to follow their heart. So I have regular marriage counseling conversations and it was usually people like in their thirties have been married for maybe a, you know, eight years, maybe a decade around those lines. And they won't even say anything bad about their spouse. No one's angry at their spouse. The whole conversation is we think we should get divorced because, you know, uh, there's just more out there for us. We think we've just kind of grown apart. We've got married really young, and I don't think we really had a chance to live life yet. Uh, you know, the, so we just think that God just wants us to not settle and, and to be able to maximize this, these prime years of our life and want us to be happy. This is not extreme. I hear this all the time, and you can almost tell it's coming because all of a sudden the wellness culture we see, you know, like wellness culture is huge on social media, that starts being combined with this kind of self-absorbed uh, understanding of faith, where they sprinkle Bible verses and faith language on top of all these things that are very self-obsessive. And I look at the picture and I'll tell my wife, oh no, they're going to call me in two weeks of marriage problems. You can see it coming in advance. And it's all done in their eyes, in the name of God and in the name of faith is a way to justify it because they're following their heart and trying to realize that God wants them to be happy. It's an epidemic. Yeah. And so again, I, I'm seeing some of these things as well and trying to make sense of them. I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but you don't, have to, you don't have to spend a lot of time to see a lot of this coming at you. And, and I'm curious, to me, it looks almost like a um, kind of a, a Christianized, and put that in quotes, scare quotes, a, a Christianized, you only live once mentality. I think that's a great observation. And there's no category in this theology for suffering. And if any kind of suffering or trial takes place, the language is always, it's only happening to you so God can set you up for a comeback. It'll say things like, your setback is for a comeback. Uh, they're not talking about how God's using these trials in your life to make you more like Jesus, you know, to mature you in your faith, uh, to make us more dependent upon him. Instead, it's, hey, God's got something great for you in store down the road. You know, kind of go get after it. And it really is a you only live once kind of understanding, but it's done, in, sadly, in the name of this kind of generic theistic God. Well, and I, I was um, making similar observations here in recent months and uh, struck me in conversation with some, some believers in the context of the Bible Belt and talking about their local church and the ministry there. And, and they're really plagued by, by church members who have um, means, financial resources, and have so many other opportunities in life, whether it's go to a college football game or go to a weekend at the lake or take a trip out of town or whatever. And, uh, and it's become like church is what you do. Attending church on Sunday is what you do. If that particular weekend you don't have a more attractive uh, offering, you don't have a more attractive opportunity. But it's sort of like it's okay to do that because, man, we got our fire insurance. The kids have been baptized. We embrace Christ, at least notionally. And so we need to just kind of enjoy life to the, to the max in the here and now. Uh, our eternity squared away, so let's get the most out of, out of our temporal life. Yeah, it's, hey, God wants it. We're a family. God wants us to be happy. It doesn't matter where you go to worship God. You can go to the boat. You can go to the golf course. You know, we're, we're together, and I think God likes that. I mean, it's, it's always just kind of ascribing all these understandings of kind of like values, they think, that God has towards them that allows them to almost functionally do whatever they want as long as they still see themselves as good people in a good family. And, and so how they view church, too, is very experiential. 
so church is just simply something I go to get inspired at. I need my fill up. It's not a community I'm part of. I'm not sacrificially giving my time and my resources towards this. It's very much a kind of go fill the tank experiential every now and then we need it kind of idea. And there's just little Bible, little spiritual disciplines, uh, but really a lot of what they would call faith, but it's not a faith described in the scriptures. It's more of a faith of uh, just kind of this generic word that helps them try harder and do better and be more moral. So how do pastors, and again, those listening to my podcast tend to be pastors, local church ministers, seminary students, how do pastors perhaps unwittingly fall into supporting and even perhaps cultivating this type of church member? We had a church member who came in as a college student, and his only church experience was one of these pop Christian kind of churches that I'm talking about. Very experiential, no doctrine whatsoever, uh, just kind of you and God, and God wants you to you know, trust him with your God-sized dreams and reach your maximum potential, that kind of stuff. But he showed up to our church as a freshman at Florida State, and his first Sunday, he thought we were mean. But he actually said that later when I got to know him. He thought we were mean, and not because of tone, but simply because we talked about sin and repentance, <laughs> you know, and saving faith. And he truly thought we were mean. And so he had been this massive church, I mean, big, huge, popular band, I mean, all these kind of things, and never heard those kind of things. If you talked about sin, it was more just in the context of brokenness. You know, like God just wants to take our brokenness and you want, and there's obviously we are, we are broken, but, you know, apart from Christ and God wants to, you know, through the gospel, we see our brokenness rebuilt, but that's all they talk about. When they talk about sin is just the idea of brokenness. And it more just kind of means, Hey, we're all just sort of messed up. That's just kind of the language they use. Uh, so what happened was, and I was talking to him about this, so this past week, just kind of going back over his story. Cause now he's living for Christ. I mean, he's really, you know, some, uh, serious about the Bible, serious about God's mission. And he told me the game changer for him was when he finally gave it a chance after he thought we were mean because he met some people and had some relationships. And then he said, what changed it for me was real simple. I heard the real thing. He's like, I actually heard the scriptures. I heard the gospel. You know, I, I truly heard about the work of Christ on my behalf. And when I heard the real thing, I realized that what was happening in this other church really was counterfeit. Because it wasn't necessarily heretical. It wasn't necessarily false teaching. It was a real incomplete gospel. And that's what's happening at these churches, is we have people walking in the door from those churches who have never really heard the whole story. They're just kind of told, hey, we're broken. We're a mess. You know, God wants to give you your God-sized dreams and help you to, you know, reach your maximum life. And that's basically what they've been told. Uh, so get over your fears and let go and let God. It's just a bunch of cliches, really, <laughs> kind of wrapped up in a sermon. Uh, so that, that was the eye opener for him. He actually heard the real thing. So I think we need as churches, when we have these kind of folks that are prone to it, we need to come alongside of them and not be afraid to say, hey, this, not that. Like, we have to just confront this head on. That's why I wrote the book. We need to be aware of it, but then realize that we need to confront this head on and say, this is what it is. This is what it's not. And the great thing is, they actually see it with their own eyes. It, it hurts them at first because it's almost like you're taking their whole faith away You because know, their whole faith isn't based on you know, what you win them with, you win them to. I mean, their whole faith isn't based on a God that basically advocates for their dreams you know, and for their ambitions. And when you realize that, no, God first advocates for himself and his own glory, and here's his story of redeeming the people to himself that he loves, it's mind-blowing to them, and it's so cool to watch. But we got to understand what it is. got to go there. I know I'm, I'm, I'm something more simplifying it, but it really is this way. And we got to show people the real thing. And when that happens, you can see their mouth drop when they realize the disconnect between what they've been taught and now what they're hearing. So you asked the question in the book, and you attempt to answer it. Uh, is the best you actually ruining you? 
First of all, what do you mean by that question? Yeah, so that's a really common thing to hear today is be the best version of yourself. But how is that defined is the answer? Is it defined by the fruit of the spirit or you know, walking in newness of life? Or is it defined by the values of this world in terms of just like a, a secular understanding of wellness and of thriving and flourishing? Or is that defined by the scriptures? And here's what I'm seeing happen is, and if I could kind of sum up the new prosperity gospel, the problem with it kind of in one main idea, there's many problems, but one big idea, it suggests subtly and sometimes not so subtly that the desires you had before you were saved should still be the same desires after you were saved. Platform, advancement, um, just personal happiness at all costs, uh, just me, self-actualization, uh, the feeling of self-importance, that all those kind of secular fleshly desires, and I'm not talking about things like sexual desires or those kind of things, that, 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 that's not what we're talking about, but those desires for ourselves, just that self-fulfillment, self-actualization should still be the things we look for after salvation. And that's what we need to talk about, because it's really something the scriptures would not recognize at all. And that's what I keep kind of coming back to and being drawn to in this conversation concerning what you asked about. And do you, are you seeing that there's a, a generational aspect of this, meaning are millennials more susceptible to this than, than whatever Gen Xers, or, or what, are you, what are you picking up on there? I'm seeing, I'm seeing millennials. I'm seeing that it is almost becoming a quarter-life crisis. You know, if we say midlife crisis, kind of everybody knows what that means. You know, it means you, you know, go tanning and buy a convertible and, you know, that kind of thing uh, and uh, start working out more and all that kind of stuff. But this here, it's happening in a quarter life. And we're seeing is it's not go buy a new car. Instead, it's more of a freak out because you thought, and this is part of the problem with the new prosperity gospel, it's setting people up for a faith crisis. So we have these people who thought that they would be having, they living in their high rise apartment in New York City right now, like the desires of their heart were. And then they realize that most people just wind up living ordinary lives and raising ordinary families in ordinary towns. That's a big, that, that's really hard for them to swallow. Well, they say majority of people never live more than 10 miles away from where they grew up. Uh, that's almost like blasphemy to them, how <laughs> they understand uh, their lives. Knowing that actually happens. It really causes a faith crisis because they've ascribed promises to God that God never made. Now, I'm not anti-ambition. The Bible's not anti-ambition. But how quickly can ambition go from, from to being self-serving if we don't hold it in check? It's completely self-serving rather than about the Lord. But I do see it in a younger generation. But another place where I see it is in people who have been exposed to a little bit older and they're still trying in a midlife crisis back to that kind of way to just feel a little bit younger, to maybe relive their high school days, those types of things that still have a church connection. They try to use that kind of language to justify their choices and their lifestyles. So for those listening who, who maybe are not only looking at this from the ministerial angle, but the personal, maybe, maybe they're realizing in the course of this conversation, they have fallen into this mindset. What would you say to them? I would say we need to go back and ask if we're standing with John the Baptist, who when the, the Behold the Lamb of God, you know, came on the scene, when John had all the things that, that the world craves at that time. I know he has his own unique kind of uh, story in terms of being, you know, a very eccentric kind of person, but he had platform, you know, he had influence, he had notoriety, he had followers, he had a crowd, and he sees Christ, and you know the story, and he says, wow, he must increase and I must decrease. But what happens in pop Christianity is we're fine with Jesus increasing. We just want to do it with him. <laughs> we just want to make sure that we're being increased as well. So we're like, yeah, amen, Jesus must increase, but it's like, I must decrease. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Nobody said that. <laughs> That's not part of the deal. Uh, so I would say we need to look in our own hearts and say, okay, am I just truly, from my social media to everything, is life about advancing me? Is there something going on in me where I just want to feel that and show that and display that and just crave? It really is about approval of man and about craving applause so much. And go, is, is that me right now? And then we answer that, I think, with, with being more convinced of who Jesus is, like John the Baptist was. If anybody knew, he knew. And to make that declaration that I, I'm going to decrease and he's going to increase in my life. So that, that's, the, I think that's the best approach. So how might a pastor and pastors listening to our conversation, like how, may, how may they sense, how might they sense or determine if their church is really, people in their church are demonstrating this mindset? Yeah, I think, I, I think if we're really shepherding well, and maybe the staff and elders are shepherding well, I think they're going to know the things that their people are in, engaging. I don't mean you're interfering with privacy or overstepping your bounds, but look at what pastors they're listening to and posting on social media and, and look at the things that, you know, have their small group leaders be in, in, in their lives and, and to know what kind of things they're posting. Like, like are there posts, because social media is so much where life happens now and, and Facebook, you know, so much so still, you know, Twitter, Instagram, are, are the things they're saying, are, are they this type of mindset? Like, is it really, are they making God into some kind of genie in a bottle? Uh, are, are they saying these things, taking these Bible verses and twisting them out of context to make it no more than just about themselves? Are they, are they struggling with just embracing the ordinary things of life? You know, are, are they upset and discontent often about the fact that they're a stay-at-home mom or because they work a mundane job from nine to five that just kind of gets you to retirement and then you're done? You're like, like, those are the things we're really struggling with right now in our culture is with so much messaging to us all the time, you got to thrive, you got to slay the day and motivational Monday and all those types of things. When most people just kind of go to their regular job until they get their regular pension and then go to their regular home with their regular family and eat their regular dinner and then do baths and go to bed. But we're kind of saying in a lot of this messaging that those things are bad. The mundane things of life are the things you want to avoid. When I would say it's the mundane things of life where we see faithfulness develop and faithfulness actually happen. So I would be on the lookout for people who seem to really struggle with the basic mundane things of life and are wanting much more in this life than it's offering from a worldly perspective. That's what I'm looking out for all the time. Yeah, and you, as one who consumes a lot of uh, magazines, publications, newspapers, it, and you know, there, there is a whole subculture and really a cottage industry around leadership and sort of achievement and sort of self-realization. And it goes subtly, but it goes something like this. I'm very successful. Um, I'm, in fact, unbelievably successful. Here are the tricks of my trade. Here are my secrets. And for, you know, $29.99, you can read this book about how I am so successful. And look, you can make a lot of money positioning yourself as one of these, you know, one of these experts, one of these swamis, one of these highly successful individuals who's willing to, to, to share your secrets of how to have such a great, healthy, successful life. And look, I think you're right. I mean, that, that, that our people, God's people can fall subject to that. They can find that alluring and tempting. They can be drawn into that, to that mindset. And so my question for you then, Dean, and perhaps our last question today uh, is this. If you're a pastor and you're sensing some of these currents flowing in your congregation, uh, how can you move your people away from such a self-centered form of Christianity? Yeah, I think we need to preach sermon series that directly reflect it. I'm not saying it has to be topical. Uh, but that really works through text to help us see uh, that this is a real thing. I, mean, I think we, you know, we don't we don't reach a culture as we want it to be, but as it is to get it to where we want it to be, 
right? So this is where a lot of culture is right now. And we, I think we need to speak to it directly. And what would it look like for small group curriculums to, to, to talk about this kind of thing, the struggle so many have with just wrestling with the reality that life is not always, this life is for most of us, it's hardly ever that glamorous, right? That it really is pretty basic and that that is okay. That's what faithfulness looks like. So I think that's a big part of it. And then I think we need to make sure we're not exposing people indirectly or, or directly to these kind of teachers who are out there. I'm not going to name names on your podcast. It's not the place for it probably, but uh, there's just a lot of those people that people embrace their music, people embrace uh, their, their podcasts. And we just, again, not that we can police it all and not that people don't have their own minds, but I think we can do the best we can to help our people avoid a lot of the, the things that are out there that are marketing this kind of stuff. So we work hard to keep our people uh, away from those kind of teachings and those kind of churches in terms of what they're listening to. And if they are, again, they're human beings, they're adults, they can listen to what they want to. But however, we're speaking to it. We're, we're not afraid to go, this is not what we see in the scriptures. And that gets viewed at, quick, at first as like kind of being divisive or aren't we all on the same team and all those kind of languages at first. We have to go, whoa, it's not the person that's maintaining orthodoxy, it's divisive. It's the one departing from it that's divisive. So I think we just can't be afraid to have this kind of conversations, and especially in college ministry. I think it's a big place where that can really, uh, can really happen, and also in women's ministry. We're not talking about the women who went to the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference, you know, back in the early spring. I'm not talking about those ladies. I'm talking about those who get caught up in that Instagramification, self-actualization of the faith. So we really got to be careful. Dean, thank you for the conversation today. And thank you for your new book, Getting Over Yourself, Trading Believe in Yourself Religion for Christ-Centered Christianity. It's now available out with Moody Publishers. Dean, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I love Midwestern Seminary, and I'm really thankful we could talk about the book. Thanks so much. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.